Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable on thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Love loves to love love. Love, love, love it is everywhere and it drives me crazy. Because love, in my opinion, is one of the most overused and therefore underwhelming words that we use on a regular basis. We teach our children from a very young age to be careful with their hearts and their affections unless they are in love. We wait to value a romantic relationship as something with the future only when we feel love and loved in return. And we spend way too much money every February in attempts to love another with things like chocolate and cards and other frivolous items. Love, it's everywhere. And sadly, in the church, because love is everywhere, the call to love God and neighbor has become so routine that we don't pay much attention to it at all. When we hear something like how we are called to love God and neighbor, we worry more about who our neighbors are than we actually spend time thinking about what it might mean to love God in such a way that it blesses our neighbors. In a time when the word love is so greatly abused, it's important for us to remember that love, the biblical kind of love, has nothing to do with affection or Hallmark cards. Love is about service. To love is to serve. When I was 14 years old, I was sitting in church on a typical Sunday morning, and I was flipping through the bulletin rather than paying attention to anything that was coming out of the pulpit. We were very much an every Sunday family. We were there for almost every Sunday of my life, but that doesn't mean that I loved the church. In fact, I spent most of my Sundays up until that point drawing really cool robots and airplanes and fires in my bulletin than doing just about anything else. In fact, it got to a point where I was so bored in church on Sunday that if you saw me, uh, there was a good chance that I would have the Bible from the pew in front of me open in my lap, turn to a random page, because I thought it was far more interesting to read a random section of Scripture than to hear whatever the preacher had to say. As if I could have done anything else with my life but be a preacher. <laughs> I was so bored in church. Until one Sunday when I was 14 years old, again, I was looking through the bulletin rather than listening to everything else we were doing, and I saw a few words that changed my life. All it said was, soundboard operator needed. Training begins on Sunday. I remember leaning over to my mother in the middle of the sermon and elbowing her and saying, Mom, I think I should do this. And she said, shut up, he's preaching. I said, no, Mom, I really think I need to do this. And she said, Taylor, they only want adults to do it. I said, Mom, it doesn't say anything about an age requirement in bulletin. <laughs> and so the very next Sunday, instead of going to our family pew, I went to the back of the church with a soundboard. And I waited for who would become my really good friend, Bud Walker, who, ironically enough, was 75% deaf, and he was our soundboard. <laughs> and Bud stood with me every Sunday for a month. He hovered over my shoulder, looking down on the soundboard, whispering in my ear, turn that knob bring that volume down, turn the bass up, remember to press these buttons to record. He gave me all these really important little instructions. 
And after doing that, every Sunday for a month, the job was mine. It was the best thing that ever happened in my life. Because starting at 14 years old, I had to be in church every single Sunday. I had to hang on every word that came from our choir and from the liturgist and from our preacher. Because I was responsible for making sure that everyone else could hear it. And serving the church that way taught me what it means to love the church. And we could ask about, well, why do we serve? Why do we have these opportunities for people to serve? And we could say something like, well, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And we could end the sermon right there. But even that isn't good enough, because Christian service, it's about more than just copying Jesus. Or we could say, we serve because Jesus once said, as you have done to the least of these, so you have done unto me. But even that isn't good enough. Because Christian service isn't just about serving the invisible Jesus in our midst. We serve because in serving, we learn what it means to love. I loved getting to run the soundboard for my church. Because when I would listen, I heard this story in a new way. Because the Pharisees, they want to trap Jesus. They want to trap him in his words. They say, teacher, tell us, what's the greatest commandment of them all? And he answers by quoting the Shema. It's a prayer that the Jews still use to this day in every morning and every evening prayer. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But he doesn't stop there. Because then he quotes from Leviticus. And he says, and there's a second commandment just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law and all the prophets hang on this commandment. I learned what it means to love and serve by doing something like the soundboard of my church. And just because I loved it, it didn't mean it wasn't hard or weird or strange. Because there were many Sundays where I would be back at the soundboard and I wasn't paying attention quite as much as I should have. And I'd forget to mute the microphone before the hymn would start. And all of us could hear our preacher, who didn't even know what a melody was, let alone was he close to it at all. So instead of listening to what we were singing, we were all trying to think, how in the world can he sing so badly every single week? And then there were all the weddings I had to do as well. I would arrive on Saturday and I would stand at the soundboard and it was perfect because for those services, they had to pay me. And they paid me 50 bucks to do a wedding. And for the long majority of my time, there was one senior pastor at the church and he had figured out how to get a wedding service down to 15 minutes. I was making 50 bucks in 15 minutes every wedding. That is some coin right there, my friends. And while I was there, while we do these weddings, I learned so much about people. And I learned so much about love and service because that one pastor, he did so many weddings. And it certainly wasn't every Saturday, but once a month he had a wedding at the church. And I remember the first time I heard him do a wedding. You know, we hear those words whenever we go to a wedding, they're very familiar. Dearly beloved, we have gathered here today in the sight of God to witness and bless and join with these two persons. So we hear those and we don't really pay attention, but the homily... The sermon, that's the juicy part. That's what changes every time. And I had already started to feel a call to ministry at this point in my life, so I was hanging on every word, thinking that I might get a chance to marry a couple one day. And so that preacher got up there for the first wedding service, and it was beautiful. I mean, it's one of the most incredible things I've ever experienced. And a couple weeks later, he did another wedding, and I realized he said the exact same thing every single wedding. <laughs> he would get up there and say, Eunice, we all know that you're the most beautiful woman in the world, in the whole room. 
and that you have made Leo's life so much better by being in it. And then two months later, it would be, Mary, you're the most beautiful woman in the world in the room. And we all know that James is so much luckier because you're in it. And he did that every single way. To the point where he didn't pay attention at all. All he would do was change the name that was in his flyer. And that backfired a couple times. Because he'd look down and he'd say, Julia, we all know you're the most beautiful woman in the room. And Fred? Fred, yeah, you're lucky for being one. And he did the name wrong. And I remember sitting there and witnessing that happen and making a promise that I would never, ever do that in my ministry. I would never marry a couple off the street, as it were. And so instead, for me, I did premarital counseling, and it's involved. I have to meet with a couple many, many times before I'll ever agree to do their wedding. And I reserve the right. If I feel like they're not ready to get married, I will say to them at the end, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to find someone else to do it. Because the divorce rate is over 50%. It's a staggering statistic. So for me, I start with the same question every premarital counseling session I do, and the question is this. Tell me about your last fight. I love starting there because people aren't anticipating it <laughs> at all. But it's great because every couple of fights. Only once have I had a couple who responded by saying, well, we never fight about anything. And I said, well, then you're not ready to get married. <laughs> and so we, we work through a fight, and I promise you almost every time I ask the question, They've had a fight in the car on their way to my office. <laughs> and it's usually about, well, should we tell them about your mother? Should we tell him about who your mother wants to invite to the wedding? Who she says has to sit next to so-and-so? But it's great because in talking about a fight, they learn the truth of marriage. The deep and profound truth of marriage. Something that I will say to my dying day. Love ain't enough. It drives me crazy when I ask a couple, so why do you think you should get married? And the response is, oh, well, we're in love. Who cares? We drop the word love all the time. I love the church. I love tacos. I love the Washington Redskins. And they break my heart every Sunday. <laughs> we drop the word love all the time. And we think that love can sustain something like a marriage. Friends, love will not sustain you when you find out your wife has been taking money out of the account and not telling you about it. Love won't sustain you when you find out that your husband's been going on a trip with somebody else and not telling you about it. Love ain't enough. Because the only way a marriage survives is when love looks less like Hallmark and it looks more like service. Because that is what's going on here with the passage. Jesus says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. And when we limit our understanding of love to Hallmark, we lose sight completely of what the passage is saying. Because Jesus looks out at the crowds and he says to them that the most important thing you can ever do with your life is serve your Lord and serve your neighbor. Or maybe a better way to put it is the most important thing you can ever do with your life is love your God and love your neighbor. Because this passage, it comes on Monday during Holy Week. This comes between the tension of the palm branches waving to celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem and the hardwood of the cross that's waiting for him on Friday. This is in the last week of his life. These are the most important and precious words he has to offer with his disciples and people like you and me. And he says the greatest 
thing we can ever do is love. And friends, there can be no love without service. And for some reason in the church, when we read this passage, all we ever really talk about is how you're supposed to be nice and kind to your neighbors. We produce programs designed to break down the walls between us and the people who live next door. We host events. We design them so that we have conversations and get to know the people who live next to us. And then we feel like if we can check that box that says love your neighbor, that we can move on to the next issue. And for sure, we would do well to love our neighbors a whole lot more than we do right now. I asked our Sunday school class last week, we were talking about noise and things that distract us. And I said, what's the most annoying noise in your life? And every person in our Sunday school class said something about a noise that their literal neighbor makes. I hate it when they blast that music and it shakes my window panes. I hate it when their dogs won't stop barking in the middle of the night. I hate it when they rev their engines and they peel out down the road. Friends, our Sunday school class, they don't love their neighbors. They hate their neighbors. And I think about that, you know? I think about what it's like to live here in Woodbridge and the surrounding communities. Nowhere in my life have I ever lived anywhere where I know my neighbors less than I do right now. If we're honest, we don't really love our neighbors. We kind of just abide with them. Barely can stand them. And I think about that and I wonder if we would still be annoyed by our neighbors if we ever did something crazy like this. Like we went over and knocked on their door and said, hey, can you come over for dinner on Tuesday night? Because that's strange, don't get me wrong. Heaven forbid us actually meeting our neighbors and hosting a meal. But think about it. Because in an intimate setting like that, when you have to sit down at a table and look across the table at your neighbor, perhaps the person that drives you crazy, those, it's like the scales falling from our eyes. And we can see them for who they really are for the first time. You know, I encounter a lot of people every week who are very judgmental and hateful to other people in the world. I have people regularly come into my office who say the most xenophobic, homophobic, and racist things you can possibly imagine. And my response is always something like this. When was the last time you had dinner with someone who's gay? When's the last time you had dinner with someone who's white or someone who's black? When's the last time you had dinner with someone who's Muslim? Because when we do that thing, which sounds easy, it's actually not. But when we do that thing, they are no longer are our neighbor. They're no longer a stranger. They become our friend. They become our brother or our sister. But the problem with this is that we've all heard sermons like this before. We've all left church at some point in our lives with a challenge to just be a little more friendly or a little more kind. And for some reason, we whittle this whole passage down in such a way that we think it's all about loving our neighbor, and we've almost done so at the expense of loving God. And because isn't that the real question? Do we love God? Do you love God? Because in church, we spend so much time talking about how God loves us. We talk about how nothing we can ever do will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We talk about this over and over and over again. But do we think about whether we love God in return? Or are we stuck in this realm of just trying to be nice to our neighbors? Because at the very core of what it means to follow Jesus, loving God and loving neighbor cannot be separated 
from one another. When we love God, we love our neighbors too. When we love our neighbors, we love God too. When we serve God, we serve our neighbors. And when we serve our neighbors, we serve God. So maybe the better question isn't, do we love God, but how are we serving God? In each of your bulletins, uh, I put an insert in today. It's titled, Ways to Serve at Cokesbury. I've been working on this for a little while, because I haven't been here that long, but I've been trying to find out about uh, all the different ways that our church serves people in the community. And by no means is this list comprehensive. This is just a sampling of what we do as a church. And I put this together so you could know what your church is doing. But more important than that, I put down contact information. So that as you read through it, and you think about a way you might serve church, perhaps you're really good at knitting and you've never gone to a prayer shawl meeting before. This is how you get connected with Barbara Firth. Or maybe you've heard about our food distribution and you have time on Thursdays to come and help serve and give food to people in our community who are in need. You just have to call the church office. There are a number of different ways you can serve the church, and they're all listed here for you to peruse. And so I encourage you to take this form home. If you don't, drop it in the recycle bin on your way out. Take this home with you. Read through it. Pray about it. Because I don't want to be part of a church where being the church means showing up for an hour a week. That's not loving God nearly enough. Not for the way that God loves us. And maybe you'll read through it and you'll go through every item and you'll think, maybe I just don't see myself doing any of these things. Perhaps you've been thinking about an idea or you have an idea of how this church can serve God and serve other people in a new way. And you just haven't told anybody. Friends, tell somebody. Tell me. Let's make it a reality. Let's find new ways for people to plug in and to serve together here at Cokesbury. Because we can't, in our Christian lives, limit what we do to being in this room for one hour a week. If we want to love God, we have to serve God. Because for me, I read a notice in a bulletin almost 15 years ago, and it was through reading that one line, my life changed forever. And it didn't stop there. Because here's the warning, you might sign up for one thing, and it will... There's a slippery slope to all the other things that you might get to do for the church. Because for me, I ran the soundboard first. After being at the soundboard for a couple months, somebody heard that I played the drums. And they came up to me and they said, hey, Taylor, can you start playing the drums for our contemporary service? I said, oh, I can't do that. I have to run the soundboard. And they said, oh, no, no, you can do both. And so I would go to the soundboard. I'd press all the buttons. I'd run to the front. I'd play the drums. Then I'd run back to the soundboard. Then I'd run up to the drums. I did that every Sunday. And a couple months later, someone said, hey, we're having a mission trip to New Orleans. Have you ever gone on a mission trip before? I said, no, I, I don't think I have the time to do it, and I actually don't think I can afford it. And they said, oh, no, no, you, you can. We'll make sure that you can afford it. We'll do everything we can so that you can fly down there and serve. And then I started feeling like I was called to ministry, and I talked to my pastor about it, the same one who forgets women's names every time he does weddings. <laughs> I said, I think I'm called to ministry. And he said, can you preach in a couple weeks? I said, no, I don't think I can do that. He said, oh, no, you, you definitely can. And you will. <laughs> the same thing holds true here. Maybe you've seen people like John get up here and read Scripture, and you thought, oh, maybe I can do that. Oh, you certainly can. Maybe you've heard our choir, and you think, oh, I can sing. I want to join them. Or maybe you don't know how to sing at all, and you want to learn. You can join our choir. 
hell, maybe you want to preach. I'll let you preach. If it's not very good, I'll add another sermon to it too. But if you want to preach, come join us. There are places for us to all serve here at the church. It is open and available to everybody. We can't pretend like there are certain people that do certain jobs and that it's not open and available to all. If we're going to be the church, we have to be a church of service and of love. Because when we serve God, we learn what it means to love God. And that, after all, is why we serve in the first place. We serve because we have been served. In all of God's mystery and majesty, God chose to descend into the world of our brokenness and our shame to be born as a baby in a manger. God served us in Christ through words and acts and miracles. God served us by dying on the cross and rising again three days later. We worship a God of service and action. One who isn't far and removed away from our lives. One who isn't absent from the perils of the world, but one who walks alongside us shoulder to shoulder. We worship a God who serves, and that's why we serve. Or better yet, we worship a God who loves, and that's why we love. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.